I want to go over something today that I've been kind of gone around the edges of it a few different times in recent weeks, and, and uh, it just, it astounds me when, every time I, I look at it. And it's connected with this argument over who's the greatest happening at the Last Supper. You know, the fact that Jesus is still working with these guys is amazing to me when something like that's taking place. Um, the Last Supper is included in all of the Gospels. In Luke's account, you have this argument over who's the greatest. But in the Gospel of John, you have the most extended passage of what uh, went on at that last meal. And just to set it up, it's, they're celebrating the Passover. So that's a tradition that's gone on for 1,400 years, right? And in that, they had celebrated their deliverance as a people from Egypt. So they had been slaves. The Passover angel had, had gone over the land. The firstborn of those that hadn't uh, covered the doorposts with the blood of a lamb were slain. And, and so there's a lot of imagery there. We recognize that when we step into the household of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, his firstborn, we have a sanctuary or a safety, and that was a picture already given in the Old Testament. Then, too, you know, Jesus, uh, the firstborn, is going to die for our sin. And so the Lamb of God is, is our sacrifice. That said, this is the last meal that Jesus is going to share with his disciples before he dies. And yet, they don't have a clue as to what really is going on. And so even though he's told them, even though he's trained them for three and a half years, even though I assume he was pretty good at what he was doing, they just hadn't got it together. It gives me great hope for myself. It gives me greater hope for you. No, <laughs> just, no. Just, just that... The fact that he works with us, even though we're not perfect, that's amazing. If you were to read verses, our chapters 13 through 17 in the book of John, you'll see that um, they gather together. He washes the disciples' feet. It's just as, a, as an act of love, but he also calls them to that kind of behavior. And just say this serving one another. He lays out the new commandment that they would love one another. Just uh, makes this declaration. These are the things that you think he should be dealing with at this time. Chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and life. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he goes on and, and uh, talks that he is, he is setting it up. You know, that this has all been planned. He talks of giving them the Holy Spirit for a helper, spirit of truth. And really, some of the most extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit is, comes from this Last Supper. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 all have a, a strong emphasis on the, the spirit of truth being our helper and guiding our lives. That he wasn't going to leave us as orphans that he was sending the Spirit to, to, to speak into our lives. 
So you and I don't have to feel this extreme jealousy of saying, why weren't we a part of that? Where it's noted that the Holy Spirit is here for us today to speak truth to us and guide our steps. So you have that chapter 15, the vine and the branches. You know, a beautiful illustration of our connection to the Lord. And then he goes on, and, and in that chapter says that you're going to be hated by the world, but, you know, that it's hated me too, but the, he says, I've overcome. Chapter 16, again, more work of the Holy Spirit, and then your joy, your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. And finally, 17 is what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the longest extended prayer recorded, and he's praying for over his disciples. So in that, you're saying he understood the power of this moment, and he's recognizing that these are the things he really wants to get across. Well, somewhere in that meal, an argument's going on over who's the greatest, so Jesus is giving this last shot, and the guys are going, get out of my way. You ought to be serving me, not, you know, I want that, or whatever. You know, how did it get going? But the fact that he has to address it is astounding to me. And so he's, in Luke 22, it says, a dispute rose among them, which who would we be regarded as the greatest? And he says, you know, now others lord it over you. You know, they, they love that place of position of lordship and ruling. He says, you're not to be wired that way. And, and even to be called benefactors, this is an interesting twist because in some ways we appreciate others giving and helping and assisting in our day, benefactors are those who sometimes will help people with the arts. Sometimes they give away great chunks of money. But also, oftentimes, there's an association with a person who has brutalized others on their way to wealth, and then at the end of life is ready to give out some of it. Um, and if you look around, you can see examples of similar things going on in our day. But in their day, it had been one who had conquered lands, like the Romans coming in and conquering Israel, and then giving out chunks of land to those that were friends. And he says, you know, that's, that's typical of those who have power or such. But he says, I don't want you behaving that way. Not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you should become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Now, he's already illustrated in serving the meal, but also in washing their feet. But he's saying, this is really important for our lives. And what we have to come to terms with is that in the temporal Leading and having others serve you works really well. And it, it does well for our pride, and it does, you know. But in the eternal picture, it just doesn't work. If you're a parent and you leave for a few hours and you come back, 
you want to find the house still there. And you want to know that the kids at least got along. You don't really care which one of them was able to exert dominance and had their way get with things. That's not going to be your chief desire. Your desire is going to be that they actually work together on things. Your desire is going to be that they were loving and cooperative with each other. And in an eternal scale, the God who, who has created us and, and placed us on this earth, it's much more valuable to him that we work with each other and serve each other than we necessarily get our way in things. And so he, he's bringing this out. It's... Uh, at any age, you can find excuses not to be loving and serving of one another. But I would encourage you, particularly parents with young ones, as soon as they can carry a dish from the table to the counter without dropping it, do it. It's part of family responsibility. It's part of serving. It's, if you see this as a value and something that you want them to become, then why not teach them that idea of serving early on? So if they take a toy out and they're capable of putting it back, train them. It's part of that, it's part of that learning. It, it works in marriage as well, but never, we'll get there. No, no, I'm not Maybe I am. I don't know. You know. <laughs> if you're a teen, I have too many activities going on. I only have time for you people at this house. Well, what's important eternally? And, and so, you know, there ought to be a, a willingness to assist and work with all through your years at home. That's, that's something that's crucial if you're going to embrace this as an adult. And, and even students, I mean, you're away, you're on your own, but you're very busy. You'll find out what busy is later, but I know, I know in your hearts, you're you're very busy, and, and truthfully, you have a lot to do. But if you aren't participating in this, the question is, what have you learned in the Lord? And are you really walking into this thing? Or are you putting it aside and say, there'll come a day for that when I'm an adult, a fully adult. I'm adult now, but, you know, full responsibility. Well, when, when you step into that, I'll let you know that there's plenty of opportunity for selfishness in that season of life as well. Too busy for this. One of the most irritating things in the Lord is when, when he lets me know of something that I should probably be helping out with in the home. It's like, really? I've been happy the way it is. You know? <laughs> And, and yet, 
if I capture what he was calling us to, it becomes one more step in maturing in Christ and living as he lived. I know, I know. When you get to be a senior, then it's time for you to unwind a little bit and, and slow down, and, and then it's really not as important that you serve others. I mean, it's, it's got to be in here somewhere. He, maybe he just missed it. You see what I'm saying? Every age has opportunity to slide this aside because it's not quite what we want in our own selfishness. Or our own pride rises up and says, I like it when others kneel to me. Now, this isn't a thing of just serving because you're afraid of someone. That's, that's not at all what he was saying. And if that's the reason that you serve, that's sick as well. Okay? Fear is not to be the driving force in this. But it's an awareness that I want to please God and a desire to live like Him. And I see the value of it in a community even if it means that I'm going to involve myself. So I would encourage you, you know, <laughs> look in your house first. You know, try it out at home and just say, Lord, are there some things here that I can do that will bless others? And then you start taking it outward. And I encourage you at least once a week, go invest in someone else. Just make it a practice of saying, I need to put some energy into others because that's what I'm, what I'm called to in the community that God is developing. He says, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But he says, I'm among you as one who serves. So even right up to the point of his death, he's making this declaration, then he's going to serve them in the extreme by dying for them. Hours away. And this is the declaration. But here it goes. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. So he says, it is not just about wearing your life out and then you die. But he's saying, this has eternal value. So you give of your life in the temporal, knowing that in the eternal there is a great benefit for it. And, and so he's saying that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's saying, I am not just leaving you aside and, and not recognizing what you do or what you've done. But he says, I have good intent for your eternity, and as you prepare now, don't think it's going to go unrewarded. And we cling to that as we do the things that fight our selfishness. And we acknowledge that Maybe in the, in the flesh, this isn't quite what I would envision wanting to do, but this is completely appropriate from an eternal perspective. And as an act of faith, we step into those things. 
in this very setting, he is serving Judas, who is going to betray him. And he's serving Peter, who will fail him. But he's investing of his life into them even at this moment. And so when he hears the argument, he calls out and says, guys, guys, you're not getting it yet. But this is really crucial that we become servants of each other, knowing that our God is pleased by such endeavors. Thank you for your scripture that speaks life. Thank you that you cared enough to serve humanity. Lord, help us to embrace that eternal perspective and be willing to do the same with others. Amen. There's much written about entitlement or people feeling that entitlement, and it's not seen as a good thing. And yet, um, Jesus was willing to come work with those that even had that attitude. And sometimes when you're serving others and they're feeling entitled and you're just whatever, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to. You know, you have to sort it out in him as to what he's asking of you. It may mean that, that you say, nope, sorry, this will just spoil you more. Or it may be that he's saying, yeah, I, I do want you to do this. But you can sort that out in him as long as you open your heart and listen, right? The beauty of this for our own lives is that even though we've lived like, in betrayal or failure or arguing, you know, about who gets what, our God still is willing to invest in us. And he doesn't refuse us. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I encourage you, if you're wrestling with those kind of issues of saying, why would he want me? Why would he do It's right there. It's just who he is. He is loving and kind toward all he has made. And he is consistent in it and doesn't fail. Bless the Lord. I'd like to pray for his blessing on you. Remind you there's a meal downstairs. Tuesday Night at Connections, um, we're going to discuss what is our message, what's the gospel, and we will at some point discuss what is a Christian. Um, it's many years ago, I'm almost done. Many years ago, there was a thing in Christianity Today that it asked a number of leaders in our country, spiritual leaders, what is the gospel, what is our message? None of them wrote the same thing and there was a lot of variation and that became a very rich study for me trying to chase that down and say okay if I have a hundred words what am I going to try to say this is even the message that we hold and uh, so I want to go through some of the things that I encountered with that and and uh, we'll see where, where you take it go from there may your blessing rest on these your people May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your unfailing love and steadfast serving of your creation. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom 
gift them with a supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. What remains is open-ended.